as we continue in Mark, turn to Mark chapter 1, 1 through 8. Listen to the holy and fallible word of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness in proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John with clothes, with camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of his sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the transition from wilderness to being baptized in the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is glorious indeed. Help us this morning to participate in our own lives, in this wonderful, glorious journey. In Christ's name, amen. Silence. Silence. Silence has characterized the revelation of God now for about 400 years. Then suddenly, out of nowhere, God acts. He acts upon the prophetic word in Isaiah. The Lord spoke that day that the day would come when he would sovereignly act by sending a messenger before the face of Israel who would prepare Israel for the straight paths of the Lord himself. That day, which only the Lord can bring, behold, I send, verse 2 of the text, has now arrived. That day, 
has now come upon us. In every gospel except Mark's, John the Baptist is mentioned prior to mentioning the wilderness. Only in Mark's gospel is the wilderness, verse 3, mentioned before John himself is introduced. John, who is suddenly mentioned out of nowhere in verse 4. There is nothing in Mark like you will find in Luke about the origin of John as a relative of Jesus, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. As you keep these observations in mind, direct your eyes to the phrase that appears in both verses 3 and 4 of our text. The phrase that I'm asking you to look at is the phrase, in the wilderness. In the wilderness. Such wording, such syntax about the wilderness also only appears in Mark's gospel. So besides the prominent honor of being the last Old Testament prophet to announce the actual coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in history, the meaning of John's person in the text is defined as the fulfillment of one crying, proclaiming, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin in the wilderness. For Mark, John is being defined with extra emphasis and attention. Yes, you'll find the concept of the wilderness in other gospels, but with extra emphasis and attention by God's word delivered to Isaiah in the wilderness. Yes, indeed. No more silence. The good news of the gospel in Christ is being prepared as coming out of the wilderness. Thus far in our opening messages in Mark's gospel, we have stressed that the era of good news in the person and work of Christ, the Son of God, has arrived. We have moved from the imagery and reality of the Old Testament economy of God's people being in the wilderness to the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Mark is stressing that the vehicle of the good news message going into all the world is preaching. This morning, we want to enrich this transition from the old covenant, the wilderness, to the new covenant, preaching the good news by focusing upon verses 4 through 8. As we have stated this morning, the wilderness theme is crucial to Mark's introduction, 
The phrase in the wilderness appears in verse 3 as we have stated. And the same phrase is used as Mark introduces the location of John's baptizing and preaching in verse 4. The wilderness theme is also accented by Mark as he leaves out, if you want to glance down, as he leaves out the actual dialogue between Christ and Satan in the temptation. The term wilderness appears in verse 12, and the word wilderness appears in verse 13. But there's nothing about the dialogue between Satan and Christ in Mark's edition. So as we stated last week, on the basis of Mark's incorporating Exodus 23.20, Malachi 3.1, when he mentions Isaiah and quotes Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3, he takes us from Israel's Exodus journey into the wilderness all the way to the end of the prophetic revelation of the Old Testament economy with Malachi while quoting the prophetic verse voice of Isaiah that the Messiah is about to appear. This morning, let us deepen, let us enrich This wilderness theme in light of John's appearance. So here we are. (laughs) In the wilderness. A remote. Uncultivated. Uninhabited area. Most likely in the southern part of Palestine. Between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea near the Jordan River. As we have accented the wilderness, do not overlook the geographical location of the Jordan River, which is also crucial to Mark's theme here in verses 4 through 8. As we turn to verses 4 through 8, I would like to focus on two connections this morning. First, the wilderness to the Jordan River. And secondly, John's baptism to Christ's baptism. Let us first look at this first theme of wilderness to the Jordan River, accented there in verses 4 and 5. God's revelatory orchestration of the history of redemption is so incredible concerning how it all ties together. Hopefully, you will marvel this morning at God directing and interweaving every delicate thread together. Immediately through the Spirit's directive, Mark places the reader in Israel's Old Testament wilderness journey. John is not in any way of in a prominent location, the prominent locations of Judea or of the city of Jerusalem. No, as you can see there in the text, what does the text say? All Judea and all Jerusalem 
are coming to him. Don't freak out at this point. (laughs) As you read the term all, Judea, all Jerusalem are coming to him. Mark is not telling you that every single Jew came to John from those places. Rather, the emphasis here is that part of all the population that represented the Jews in Judea and Jerusalem were coming out into the wilderness. Mark is telling you that essentially all Israel are going into the wilderness once again, just as they did in Moses' day. Whereas the previous son of God, and you recall, That Israel was understood as the Son of God, clearly stated by God himself in Exodus 4.22. That Israel failed as God's Son. But this time upon the landscape of history, the Lord in covenant oath is providing all Israel with a second opportunity to enter the wilderness. What you have being described in front of you in this text, see this, please see this. This is a second exodus. A second exodus. Like the 400 plus years between Abraham's covenant The Abrahamic covenant to exit from bondage in Egypt under the prophet Moses. Now, now, about 400 years of silence after the prophetic word came to Malachi, a prophet out of nowhere emerges on the scene. John the Baptist, who is somewhat like Moses as he brings the final message of judgment and blessing to Israel in this second entrance into the wilderness. These Israelites coming to John must pass out of judgment, God's judgment for being a stiff-necked people by repenting by repenting and being forgiven of sin. They are to be baptized in the context of John's preaching the word of God, driving these Israelites from Judah and Jerusalem to seek repentance and forgiveness. There is nothing here There is nothing here in the text that indicates an idea of baptismal regeneration. That is, that baptism saves you. No, for Mark, baptism is a response to the proclamation of a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 4. Let's make sure we are clear. The focus here, as noted in previous previous messages, is upon the preaching of good news. In the case of John, 
His preaching is upon repentance in light of the imminent coming of the Lord, the good news that is coming in Jesus Christ. Baptism is the visible symbol of repentance and forgiveness from sin in light of the coming crisis of final judgment when the Lord himself comes in the person and work of Jesus Christ. John's preaching enters into the final impending judgment coming in Christ and thus his preaching produces what? Confession of sin? Repentance for sin and forgiveness from sin. Verses 4 and 5. That brings Israel, Judah and Jerusalem, Jerusalem, cleanly out of their wilderness journey this time. Do not miss this in terms of what is being built here. These Israelites are brought to the waters of the Jordan River by one who is dressed with clothing that identifies with the wilderness. He resembles a wilderness nomad. Indeed, as the last Old Testament prophet John's clothing resembles another prophet who spoke strongly about judgment. His name, you know who he is. You know this in terms of your biblical knowledge. He is Elijah with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. You can check this out in 2 Kings 1.8. And his eats, his meals consisted of wild honey and nutritious locusts. That's interesting. Did you know? I did not know this. <laughs> this passed me by <laughs> until my study this week. Did you know? That locust is the only insect which was permitted eating by, Deuter by Mosaic dietary laws. Leviticus 11, 20 through 23. By the way, do you know what the snack is today? No, no, just... <laughs> <laughs> But as these Israelites exit Judah and Jerusalem to enter once again the wilderness era that embodies their own life under the Old Testament economy, they come to the Jordan River. What was the importance of the Jordan River for Israel's wilderness journey when they came out of Egypt? Do you remember it was the boundary of entrance into the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. Notice John's, notice in this case, John's diet. You see, honey. Representing the relationship of the land. 
and locusts, which is nutritious for sustaining through the wilderness journey, pointing to the final eschatological environment. You see, do you not, that the movement being duplicated here in John's calling and ministry is the Israelites entering entering the wilderness upon leaving Egypt to endure the discipline of a father to his son. But this time, this time, the time of John's ministry, Israel is brought to the banks of the Jordan in preparation for the final entrance into the promised land. The final entrance into the promised land. They must, they must respond to John's preaching of confessing and repenting of their sin so that in the riches of forgiveness, they are prepared to enter into life beyond the Jordan in the coming appearance and gospel message of Jesus Christ. Thus we understand now, in terms of this theme this morning, of this wilderness, Israel at the time of Moses, Exodus into the wilderness to the Jordan River. This time, Israel, at the time of John the Baptist, a second exodus into the wilderness to the Jordan River. But this time, the actual Son of God is about to appear at the Jordan. The actual Son of God, not Son of God as Israel, but the actual Son of God is about to appear at the Jordan, ready to take his children into his eternal promised land, the kingdom. Look down at your text. Verses 14 and 15 are coming. (laughs) They're coming. Now, the second theme. John's baptism to Christ's baptism. Now those receiving John's baptism, they must move on and seek the baptism of the one who is coming after John. Verses 7 and 8. Otherwise, their trip into the wilderness will remain only temporal stuck in an earthly wilderness and a river called Jordan a second time. That's where they will be stuck. John's baptism is only preparation for the baptism to follow. What's that baptism that's necessary for them in terms to follow? It's the baptism of Christ. Christ's baptism will take those baptized by John 
beyond the Jordan, beyond judgment, into the eternal blessing of the kingdom of God. After all, Christ is about to bring the era of good news The good news of God, verse 14. And those who repent and believe in his good news are the testimony of his baptism by the Spirit of God. As recipients of such grace, they will rise into the glorious everlasting kingdom that transcends the earthly land of milk and honey. In the final analysis, John's life purpose has its superior meaning as the redemptive historical forerunner proclaiming the way, the straight pathway to life in Jesus Christ. Even in this heightened position among all the prophets, John takes an extraordinary, extraordinary position at the feet of Jesus. You don't want to miss this this morning as a Christian. He denies, John denies even the position and posture of a slave, stooping down and untying the sandals of Christ. He sees himself as unworthy even to do that. Have you heard what I just said about the identity of John and how he sees himself in relationship to Christ? I say this because you need to look at another phrase in verse 7, which will compound what I've just said about John's understanding of his own humility. Humility before Jesus. Look at the phrase, after me comes he, in verse 7. After me comes he. In the Greek, this phrase is common along with the phrase that you'll see in verse 17 Follow me for the call to discipleship. Mark is telling us in this phrase, after me comes he, that Jesus is a disciple of John. Jesus is a disciple of John. He, Christ, who comes after John, 
is a disciple of John. John views himself in relationship to his own disciple, Christ, as being lower than him. Please allow this to register in your heart. John views himself lower than a slave to his own disciple. I'm going to repeat that. Because in the world we're living in right now, This is utter nonsense. You can only find this in the gospel. In the gospel. John views himself lower than a slave to his own disciple. Remember for Mark, Christ's identity is totally wrapped up with the pathway straight to the cross. How is this for a picture of humility in light of the pathway of humiliation of our Savior? We we all need to think long and hard in prayer. In God's word of our true relationship to Mark's picture of the humble life in face of Christ's presence before us. In Mark's narrative, directed by the Holy Spirit, let me ask you this. Is Mark's narrative directed by the Holy Spirit, moving you from John's baptism at the Jordan River to Christ's baptism in Christ's Spirit. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The Holy Spirit led the Israelites through the wilderness by the glory cloud by day and the pillar by night. Even Isaiah testifies of the leadership of the Holy Spirit in that wilderness journey in Isaiah chapter 63, verses 11 and 14. But in the era of Christ's gospel message of good news, only those who are blessed with the gift of being born again by Christ's baptism of the Spirit will know the Lord. There is no more glory cloud. There is no more pillar of fire because the Holy Spirit resides in the heart of the true believer placing Christ, the true tabernacle and temple of God, in the believer's heart. Yes, 
the true believer is beyond the Jordan and John's baptism. How deep How deep, how low in humility will the true disciple of Christ go in the service of God and Christ? How low? In humility, are we willing to go in terms of service to Christ and God? Are you a disciple and follower of Christ? How far will you stoop? below the level of a slave for the sake of the unity of all of us as one body in Christ. How low will you go for the sake of unity? in the body of Christ. Let it not be said of us what was said of Israel in the wilderness. That is, we grieved the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 63.10 Rather, let the fruits the fruits of the Spirit be abundantly present among us, binding each of us to each other. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that in even John the Baptist we have such a glorious picture of humility before the coming Savior and Redeemer of the world, Jesus Christ. We ask, O Lord, that our lives would be characterized by repentance and faith in Christ. And in that repentance and faith, that we would live in the faithfulness of service unto him and the gospel. We ask, O Lord, for hearts that are directed by thy Spirit as we ourselves
as a church continues to move on in this era of the good news. The good news. The good news that is given to us as gift in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.